Hello, my friends. How I have missed you all. Hope you guys are all having a good weekend and a good day. It's been it's been a been a couple days. Um, so welcome to the Brutally Honest Podcast with your host Harrison Barron. Uh, that is myself. Um, in case you this is the first time you're listening. Um, if you enjoy this episode or you've gotten to this point all 30 seconds in, smash that subscribe button. Appreciate the hell out of it. Um, just keep, it's a great way for me to get an idea of how many people are listening, who's listening. Um, and it's a huge motivator for me to keep this show going. Um, and it makes me feel good. Not going to lie. makes me feel great. So appreciate that. Um, also want to give a huge, huge thank you, um, to, Draft Hop for sponsoring a giveaway. So if you're interested in winning a Draft Hop, for anyone who doesn't know, that's actually on my Instagram as well, it is a device where you can open beer cans, but it cuts off the top, and it cuts off the inner inner ring, so it's not going to cut your lip or anything like that, and it kind of turns that, that beer can into a pint glass. It's a really cool device, going to be giving one away, so if you want to win it, you got to go to brutallyhonestpodcast.com. Under extras, you can click on the link to submit for your chance to win the giveaway. So, with that being said, this show is also brought to you by none other than the Nerds That Care. For all your IT needs, they are constantly working on the most cutting-edge technology to keep your businesses up and running as smoothly as possible. They are working extremely diligently to make sure your system's up and running. It's secure. That's huge right now. Cybersecurity is the biggest thing in the world right now, um, and there's huge fears of attack and potentially cyber warfare. Um, I was just having a great conversation with somebody, and you know, if they hacked into some like a power grid, they could roll that place back into the Stone Age for a good bit uh, if you cut off cut off that power for a couple of days. Um, and with that all being said, um, I would like to introduce my good friend Heather Schultz. The summer is already over. We're going into autumn, but I'm, I love all of autumn. I'm gonna get depressed. I love summer. I absolutely do. It makes me. I came to the conclusion. I'm like Labor Day is next week. I'm so sad, and it was cold today. I love this weather, and pumpkin spice is coming back. So <laughs> it's all about the pumpkin spice. Exactly. I'm. I, I do get a little excited. I'm excited to go apple picking and whatnot this year. Um, that's pretty much it. I don't really do go out and do those picking things other than like apple. Oh, pumpkin probably. I've got apple picking upstate. upstate. And I intend to do that this time around too. Very nice. Very <laughs> nice. So tell me about, because I know you're a professor with two different colleges, right? Baruch and what was the other one? Fordham University. Oh, very nice. So what do you do? What do you profess? Is that the thing? Profess? Teach. Teach? teach? All right. What do you teach? So I'm an adjunct professor. Okay. And I'm teaching public speaking at Baruch College. Last semester was my first semester teaching public speaking, and I'll be teaching persuasion and public opinion at Fordham for the first time this semester. Wow, that's persuasion and public opinion. Yes. So what does that entail? That entails anything from persuasion in terms of public speaking, writing an op-ed, 
just an, looking what's at an op-ed, op- an opinion piece. Okay, you know, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal Journal, and they have they have op-ed columnist. Oh, okay, like okay. Maureen Dowd or Charles M. Blow. Okay, and anything, and just watching a TV commercial, a brand is trying to persuade you to buy their product. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. And they have full blown classes for that to just learn how just that skill. It's a four. Yep, it's a four credit class. It's within the Department of Communication and Media, Stud- Media Studies at Fordham. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's crazy. So what is? I don't know if I don't, I don't want to ask you too many secrets, but like, what is some of the key points in like making a persuasive piece? Because obviously now every, everything nowadays is persuasion. Trying to get somebody to agree with you, or or like sales and marketing and stuff like that. So like. I guess what is to touch on it briefly? What are some like the key things that you do? For me, when I was teaching my public speaking class at Brook last semester, teaching speaking to persuade, really hitting them hard when it comes to emotion. And for me, mm. when I'm trying to persuade, that's my area of expertise. Emotions. Emotion. Now, and do I- you put do you put these students on the spot, or is it like a pre-done this is where like they go home and do research and, and then really put their op-ed together right op-ed yes op-ed together so an op-ed is part of their course requirements mm-hmm. and i'll have lectures and they'll learn about the theories in persuasion and public opinion and they'll have to ha- break into small groups i have a class of 20 mm-hmm. this is my first time teaching the subject and they will be broken into small groups to and i'll sh- i'll see how they're putting the theories into practice mm-hmm. And I got a opinion editor from NBC News, and she's going to be leading an oh, wow. op-ed writing workshop for my students in October. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's crazy that you were able. So now, when they go through this, what have you done to, or what do you bring to them that would normally not be there? I don't know if that, that's not even the right question I'm trying to ask. But like, where did you learn about all of this opinionated stuff to bring to them? Sure. This is just honestly, I'm not an expert in this. I that's fine. Natasha, she sent me the job posting along, and I applied, and uh-huh. I just knew the, the little bit of persuasion from my public speaking class. Okay. Um, and just learning and researching as you go. I mean, I'm, I can only imagine that there's probably articles and articles, and probably a ton of research exactly. now more than ever. I've done my it. research. I have my articles. I have my syllabus which was approved by the department head. I have a textbook to go along with my course. Oh, okay. And I will be having screening video selections and some YouTube clips that tie into the course material. That's awesome. That's absolutely <laughs> awesome. And then are oh, you doing that at both colleges or just Baruch? Just at Fordham. Oh, Fordham. And at Baruch, I will be teaching public speaking. Very cool. That's sick. What's it like being a teacher? I never knew. I never thought I would fall into this. Okay. I was always a writer, mm-hmm. and I did some freelance work for the New York Times, NBC News, mm-hmm. the New York Daily News, and then I was working as a fr- freelancer for a couple of years, and then I went back to school at Baruch, my alma mater, which I also have my Bachelor of Arts in j- from Journalism, so I got my Master of Public Administration, graduated in 2014, mm-hmm. and I spent my last semester in Washington, D.C., where I was interning for the Center for American Progress for their Women's Health and Rights women's health and rights program okay and then when i graduated in may 2014 i was exploring opportunities in new york and dc and nothing in politics came up nothing in nonprofit came up i ended up working for the network for teaching entrepreneurship as a consultant that sounds pretty cool so they actually they had they had a summer program for for 
New York's uh, New York City high school students, which taught them how to code, mm-hmm. and they actually were broken up into small groups of anywhere between four to six students. Okay, and they had to develop the own their own business plans for an app and the and the whole the the whole the whole concept so it's and the prototype. Yes, and they were paired up with mentors from different tech companies like Deloitte, Warby Parker, AppNexus. Oh, okay. Where they met Some with the serious st- names. Yes. So they where they met with the students. I believe it was twice a week. Okay. And they helped them with their business plans and the prototype and the top three teams. They they actually demoed their oh, apps wow. in a competition. Yes. Wow, that's impressive. And from there, from that job led from that contracting opportunity that led to a full time job. Live Person was one of the companies that had mentors to this program and I'm a big, big, big on the networking. So mm-hmm. I saw live person, I saw their office, I got a feel for their product and and I thought to myself, hey, I want to work here. Mm-hmm. And I networked and after the three month contract position, that landed into a full time position as contact marketing specialist where I manage their their blog. Oh wow. So you're doing a lot for them. That's a that's incredible. You just came all from that, all from that what and you said it was an internship. It was a, just a contract position. Okay. Because I didn't. I was looking for political opportunities, nonprofit op, nonprofit communications opportunities in New York and DC, and nothing was coming up. And I just fell into this position from a, one of my professors at Baruch, mm-hmm. and then it led to a full time position because I'm. I consider myself a master networker, and then unfortunately that position only lasted about six months, and then I went back to freelancing. Mm-hmm. And then I got my last job as communications development manager at the Donaldson Adoption um, the, Do- the Donaldson Adoption Institute, and I got that from networking through the um, adoption groups. That's awesome. Now, is that what you really wanted to focus on? Was politics and then a non for profit? Well, I always knew as a writer, I wanted to. I I studied journalism, and I wanted to be a journalist because I always wanted to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And in journalism, you need to take a step back and not put your opinions unless you're an op-ed, op-ed columnist. Okay. Because you need to get both sides of the story and be mm. remain unbiased. And for me, I I'm very passionate about causes, and and so I I wanted to see how that worked more mm-hmm. on the policy end and politics. So I always knew I wanted to get a graduate degree. I thought about law school, and I had a whole bunch of friends who were lawyers and family members, and they said, you don't want to be a lawyer, Heather, and they were not happy in that profession, and I'm not good with standardized tests, and I bombed the LSAT. Mm-hmm. I took a test master's LSAT prep course, and I never took the LSAT after that. Wow. And I just forgot about law school, and I went to a CIA, CIA information session at Baruch at the end of 2012, and that's how I learned about their master public administration program. Mm-hmm. And then I applied last minute, and I was accepted for spring 2013. And I finished that program in a year, a year and a half, because I wanted to see how policy was shaped mm-hmm. and implemented and rolled out. Wow, that's quite a learning curve. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, and I can only imagine the people that you've learned all across the way and everything like that. But that's super interesting. That that's the whole path of which you've you've come from and i know your history a brief summary of your history as and coming from that and achieving to where you've gotten today is ridiculously impressive thank you 
the um, and touching on that because I am super super curious. I want to hear all about it because nobody who's listening up to this point has no idea what what you've gone through and stuff like that to find your your family and whatnot. But if you if you would care to share, sure. So when I graduated Burke, that was right before my thirtieth birthday, and for my thirtieth, I wanted to do it big. Okay. Instead of partying in Vegas and everything, <laughs> I. I never really traveled abroad except for a family vacation in Mexico when I was in third grade. Mm-hmm. So the first country that popped into my mind when I was thinking about where I wanted to go was my birth country, South Korea. Okay. I was born in Seoul. I was adopted in November 1984. I was only four months. And I always wanted to go back to visit. And I met adoptees who have reconnected with their birth families and some who really don't care to... Go down that path. Mm-hmm. And it's not for everybody. Everyone's on their, their own their own journey. So when I turned 30, I decided I'm ready to make this trip. Wow. So right after I got the position at LiPerson, I was contact marketing specialist. A couple weeks after that, I went to Korea by myself for three weeks. And I stayed with a family friend. Oh, my goodness. Who lived right by Bukhansan Mountain. So seriously, like we would walk outside her her home and we would go hiking up Bukhansan oh, wow. Mountain. Okay. <laughs> and then you spent and then during that time there, you were what'd you do? Sure. So in advance of that trip, I reached out to an Eastern Social Welfare Society, my adoption agency. Mm-hmm. And I spoke with the social worker and I was trying to gather some information before I got there and we scheduled appointment in advance and I don't speak Korean but my family friend she's fluent in Korean and English so she was translating Mm -hmm. and she came with me on that appointment and unfortunately there was very little very limited information about my birth family I just have my birth mother's name Mm -hmm. which I actually wasn't supposed to see but I did see it when I was going through the file Mm -hmm. and I remembered my my birth mother's name going through the papers and then when they gave me copies they only gave me a couple. They only gave me copies of some of the documents, not all, which really upset me because I wanted my whole yeah. my whole record. They didn't want some of it had my parents' personal information on it, mm-hmm. but my adoptive mother she deceased. Mm-hmm. She's deceased. She passed away from multiple sclerosis when I was ten. She was only thirty nine. So thank you, and she passed away in January ninety five. So. I'm her daughter. I don't know why I'm not privy to that information. Yeah. But I did remember my birth mother's name. But when they gave me the documents back, they did redact her name. Mm. So my birth mother's name is Ha Okja. In okay. in Korea, your last name precedes the first. Okay. And my birth name is Ha Mi Young. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. And then you... So with this information, I know that you had said that you were trying to find your, your birth mother. Yes. So, unfortunately, the f- I was with a foster m- I was with a foster mother mm-hmm. before I for a couple months before I came to the states, and according to the social worker, she passed, so I couldn't meet her. Mm. But I I did meet the doctor who delivered me. Okay. And she delivered thousands of Korean babies, but she claims she remembers me, and she gave me a great big hug, and just to see the clinic that. I was born mm-hmm. and that my birth mother did spend a good week with me in the clinic was amazing. Mm-hmm. And when I returned, I a couple minutes a couple mo- 
months after I found out that a lot of Korean adoptees, it's just an adoptee thing. Anyone who tracing back their genealogy can do it. But there's a service called 23andMe. Yes. Yep. Something so d- I would like to do. Yes. I really encourage you to go down and go down your family tree route and everything. So you, they give you a tube and you spit into the tube. They collect your saliva and then they analyze it. Mm-hmm. And... So they, it took about a couple months for the, for me to receive my results. And then when I received my results, it said I was like 52% Korean, a quarter percent Japanese, 13.6% Chinese, and then like 8, 9% broadly East Asian. So mm-hmm. just a, basically yeah. a, an Asian mutt right here. Yeah, that's fine. That's incredible. And, and then so if you make your profile public on 23andMe, mm-hmm. you can you can find other biological relatives. Oh, wow. And you can I did met- not know that. Yes. And that's the beauty of 23andMe. So, and as long as you make your profile public. Mm-hmm. So, and you can inbox and you can message others. So I received emails from distant relatives from anywhere from third to six cousins, third to your sixth cousin. Oh my goodness. And that's pretty impressive. And the closest cousin that I found is my second cousin mm-hmm. who lives in the Los Angeles area. And he did some asking around and digging within his family to see how we're related. Mm-hmm. And he actually, his father lives in Burma and his father was visiting for the holidays, I think, or it was around Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. like last November. And he offered to... DNA test his father for me through twenty three me and he did so so we're connected through his on his father's side okay but I don't know like in terms of my birth family I don't know about the birth mother birth father so he's asking around for like some of you know some of the family that is still alive and or mm-hmm. in that in Korea and uh, we haven't really made any headway and I. Put that on pause, and I hope to I hope to resume that. But there are just some other things going on in my life that yeah, absolutely. I wanted to more take pressing care. issues. That's incredible, and it so on twenty three and me because I haven't done it. It's actually something I want to do. So now I'm super curious. Does it tell you like when you get an inbox from somebody like there is a match or there's a potential match for it? Like how did you figure out like that he was your second cousin? It will actually label this is your second cousin third cousin and you have and you have a message so sign on to 23 me and see that message what and some of them actually found me online through facebook that's incredible i did not know i knew it was a dna test and you could kind of see where you came from but i had no idea that it'll tell you like these are your second third cousins like that's mind-blowing it's powerful Absolutely. And now have all the people that inboxed you, because you said your fifth and sixth cousins as well, you connected with them and did, have you guys shared all your stories together? I honestly haven't really spoke with them as in depth as I, as I have with my second cousin. Okay. That's so incredible that that's, I'm still, I'm mind blown. I'm absolutely mind blown that that's where technology has come and, and how it's helped you. So when you also when you were in Korea, were you were you also looking for where you spent time at the clinic, right? Did you do anything else to try to find your your family tree or anything like that? Yes. So 
there was, I don't know if the show's still on, but there was a show mm-hmm. in, in Seoul that on KBS that reunited adoptees with their birth families. And, and so my family friend and some other connections I made through uh, friends back here in New York, they tried to reach out to that show and, and, and find more information, but um, nothing was coming from that. And mm-hmm. there's also a detective in Korea who is known for reuniting birth adoptees with their birth families. And I emailed him, and unfortunately there's not much he could do for, mm-hmm. for, for my case. I got you. Wow, that's incredible that that's all you went through. And now, and now you're back here and still looking. But it was incredible just to see the motherland and where I came from. Mm-hmm. And growing up in Long Island in a predominantly white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the few Asians in school. It was interesting when I set, when I set foot in Korea just seeing people who look like me. Mm-hmm. But... I felt not. I felt like a. I belonged, but I also felt like an outsider because I don't speak the language. Mm-hmm. So on the outside, everyone sees me. Oh, she's Korean, but family, like my family friends, they understood my story and they accepted me for who I am. But mm-hmm. strangers, when I was at the local shop trying to trying to get gifts for my family and friends and myself, and people start speaking Korean to me, I would just look at them blankly. So I felt like I felt some shame. Mm-hmm. from strangers and taxi cab drivers. Wow. Now do when you were over there, did they a lot of them speak English as well or not really? I th- I think that a, a decent amount spoke English. Mm-hmm. Um sometimes when I was trying to maneuver myself around in the subways, I some of the young young students, I would ask them and they and and they spoke English very well. Interesting. No, because I only asked because when I was I was in Norway in January and hopefully going to do some more traveling next year, um, it was actually extremely fascinating that most people there spoke English and like really, really good English. So communicating with somebody, I mean, there was probably a handful of people while I was there and I was in Oslo, one of the main cities. There's probably only about a handful of people that didn't know any English. Other than that, everybody knew English and knew it very well, like more than I would expect. So that's why that's. Why well, ask if anybody knew English while you were there? Man, that's absolutely incredible. And there are a lot of expats living live live in a lot of Americans mm-hmm. in Korea. So that's amazing. That's so cool that you could that you went there and and when you were there, did you have any like crazy experiences that I don't know that happened to you, life changing events or anything of that nature? Just to just to be there and understand the history of Korea, and I went to the museums and. I did. I I did all the touristy things. I went to the DMZ, which was what's the DMZ? I mean the the demilitarized the demilitarized zone zone between okay. North and South Korea. Oh wow, what is that like? And I had to apply because if you're if you're a citizen of Korea, you can't go. Mm-hmm. So when I applied, if you're a citizen, you can't go. No, because there's the whole conflict between North and South Korea. Yeah, yeah. So as an American and a tourist, you can go. So I had to apply mm-hmm. and they had to approve me. And at first I was denied because they thought I was just Korean. Mm-hmm. And then I had to 
here's my you know here's my here's my passport mm -hmm. here's my social security number here's all my documentation so i could get to experience a tour and oh and they have a full-blown tour of the whole thing yes so what was that like because i don't know anybody that's done that not even close it just uh, it just a lot to take in mm -hmm. and uh, and it was very it was very tense because mm -hmm. I saw the the sol the the, sol the Korean soldiers protecting that zone because there's this little I believe it's a little blue hut mm -hmm. and half of it is um, on in North Korea and half of it is on South Korea and it's and their soldiers protecting that area 24 hours a hut. just just a hut it's um I forgot the name of it but it, it is it is it is it is a, it is a blue hut. That's crazy. And then, so now, is there like a fence that runs across the the, the middle of the country, or how does that work? Because obviously, it's, it it spans a pretty good chunk of land. I don't know about the fence. I don't want to give the wrong information about that. It was a couple of years, and I don't remember okay everything about that experience. But that was one of the highlights of my trip. That's incredible. Oh, now I want to go. I want to go see and Especially it. given all the tense relations right now mm -hmm. with North Korea. And... No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you can't spread false information, especially on here. Um, that's, I'm still so mind blown that, what, now what else did you do while you were there? Because uh, I'm, I'm, this is fascinating to me. I, I'm enjoying every second of this. I went to a bathhouse. Okay. So, so basically you have to completely be in the nude mm -hmm. and uh, and they give you a body scrub a full body scrub okay and then there are different temperature pools and saunas that you could relax in that's pretty cool and what i found like koreans take great pride in their beauty mm -hmm. and their health and this is a regular thing and i saw and you know it's separated in terms of sexes mm -hmm. but when i when i saw i saw Older Korean woman, I saw middle age, I saw a younger Korean woman. And this is just a normal part of their lifestyle. Yes, yeah. And I, d and I made sure I went to the bathhouse before I got back on the plane mm -hmm. when I was coming back to New York, and I was so relaxed. I believe for it. For that trip. <laughs> and that's just a, that's a standard practice for them? I mean, not everyone does it, but mm -hmm. it's, but they're very into beauty. Um, Korean beauty product products are ridiculous. Yeah. And they're actually, um, there's been a demand more in the States for those Korean beauty products in stores like Sephora. Really? Wow. And it's all, it's obviously all made there and, and manufactured there and then shipped over here. That's so yeah. cool. Anything else that you, uh, like for like one product that I love is snail cream. I use that as a moisturizer. So. What is snail cream? It <laughs> they just straight snail well i don't i don't well, know they they mix it with other with with other other things and but and that's popular here it's popular there okay yeah and then in koreatown in new york in new york city it's it spans two blocks it's on 32nd street between six it's on sixth avenue to f to f madison avenue so it's okay. two blocks and and there's a one of my favorite stores. There's Nietzsche Republic, so I get my Korean beauty products from there. No, my facial mask. In there is everything. Is everything in Korean, or is it like in, in English too? 
some of it is some some of the packaging is in English, but mm-hmm. the directions are pretty much in Korean. But but I know I just typically would put it on my face for like fifteen to twenty minutes and. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy. <laughs> I I'm I would have never guessed that there's a there's a demand in in New York and the country for for I would I didn't even know about the Korean beauty products, and what did you what else did you do there while you were, while you were in Korea? Well, I so I did I ventured around Seoul by myself mm-hmm. and um, my family friend she has her own business so she's a very busy she is a very busy woman mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur so but she brought me to the countryside outside of Seoul where I met some of her family and I saw her mom making kimchi okay very cool which is a long meticulous process yeah really I, that I didn't know either I know I know what it is I've <laughs> yeah. just I didn't know it was a long meticulous process so when you were there other than just a trip, what other like crazy experience? Did you have any like crazy, crazy experiences? Did you, I don't know, jump out of a plane or anything of that nature? Or was it just a really see your country and see like the heritage that you came from? Well, see my country. I not only did I, I mean, how often am I going to go to Korea? So yes, I saw Seoul, but I also went to Busan, which is the second largest city in South Korea. Mm -hmm. And I also visited Jeju, which is pretty much where a, play, a, a great honeymoon spot. Okay. And I and I basically call it South Korea's Hawaii. Okay, beautiful place. Beautiful, beautiful hiking temples, everything, waterfalls, white sandy beaches. Wow. And you, so you're there for three, and how long do you stay there for? So I was. Yeah, I spent in Jeju Island. I was there for. I know, I'm making you think. Maybe like four days, four days, and I spent like two days in Busan, and the rest of my time was in Seoul. But I wanted to make the most of my trip. Yeah. Very cool. And have you done anything crazy since, or have you traveled since? Not internationally. No, just all. I don't want to say local, but in the country. But local, like I have a lot of family in Florida, so and then I went and I went to destination wedding a couple of years ago in Portland. My good friend, that I interned at the Center for American Progress, she got married. So very cool. I went to support. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. I love the story. That's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. So you were telling me about um, that you're huge in a spirituality, and that I had no idea about you. So so please explain what. Because I just had my friend Sherry on, and she's very big in the spirituality and, and positivity. And I know you had just mentioned um, that you're that you also practice some some of that as well. Yes. So I was brought up Catholic, mm-hmm. and although I don't consider myself Catholic right now, mm-hmm. I do believe in God, a higher power. Okay. I do believe in Jesus Christ. I do believe in. I mentioned that my mother passed, and I know that she is watching over me. Every second of the day, she is my garden angel, as well as some other family members and friends that I've lost throughout my 33 years here on Earth. Okay. That's crazy. Now you said you you do daily affirmations and things of that nature? Yes. So I will write my daily affirmations, something as simple as, I am beautiful, special, and lovable just the way I am right now. And I will go in front of the mirror and recite it. And even if I don't believe it, it takes 21 days to register in the subconscious mind. And you do that every day? 
I try, I try to, and sometimes I'm, I'm not as consistent as I, as yeah. I would like to be. We're but, all human. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> That's insane. And you, and it definitely has had a positive impact in your life. Yes, I do believe in the power of prayer, mm-hmm. the spoken word, and and your thought and your thoughts, mm-hmm. because you can be you can worry about something and you could actually, I believe, bring that negative thought to manifestation. Mm-hmm. And and you don't want that. And you just and just in your daily life how you go about speaking about yourself mm-hmm. to yourself and speaking about yourself to others and just be really mindful of your spoken word. And I also meditate. Oh, I love meditation. Yeah. Do you use an app or do you just do it on your own? I, I do it on my own. I have some meditations I follow along from my spiritual teachers over the years. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. And how long do you typically meditate? Because I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm the worst meditator, but I'll meditate for like five, ten minutes. For about 15 minutes, I don't think you need to sit there cross-legged for an hour or anything. Yeah. I think I think 15 minutes is a good benchmark. Yeah. I, I yeah. tell everybody that I know. I'm like, you, I, I, I met a guy. I shouldn't say met a guy. I knew a guy. I saw a guy today, and he's like, I'm super stressed out. I'm like, have you tried meditating? And he's like, no. Why would I do that? I'm like, uh, you don't know. You got to figure it out. You got to go. I was like, you got to start. And it's it's probably my favorite thing to do when I have time to do it and and. I have to make time, which is something I need to be more conscious of. But once you do, once the twenty-one day rule, once you do it for twenty-one days, it's there. It's there. It's that, there. That's crazy. And now, um, I know that you have a, uh, a history of domestic violence, and feel free to go as deep as you want with that. But have you used prayer and meditation and your daily affirmations to help you overcome that that event in your life? So when I was going through that, I wasn't really awakened to the world of spirituality. Mm -hmm. So my first relationship after high school, that was in 2002. Mm -hmm. I was in an abusive relationship. It was was abusive physically and emotionally. I would show up to work with bruises. And my coworkers, my friends saw, and my manager saw, and I believed that I deserved it. I also was afraid to hurt myself, so I felt, and I learned this through therapy, that by letting my ex-boyfriend do it, he was doing me a favor. And I had very low self-esteem, and I didn't think highly of myself. And how long were you in that? I was with him for three years. Holy shit. And, but he he didn't start getting abusive until my 19th birthday, so we were already a, a year in before he started hitting me. And do you... God, that's insane. Did... What had basically helped you realize that you were in an abusive relationship and, and what do you think made you tolerate it other than your own beliefs to, to think that? But, like, do you know why you thought that? I had to have massive psychotherapy for a couple of years after the end of that relationship. And do you know, do you have any idea like why he started or it was just out of the blue or? Well, just going back from his own family history and I'm not, you know, I'm not giving any power to him or, you, you know, making excuses. Mm-hmm. But I remember him sharing with me that his father was abusive mm. and his and his father left his left his mother and his mother was a single single mother mm. bringing him up. Just, oh, so when you so grow sad. up in a family dysfunction, that's what 
that's what you find you're familiar with that that's mm-hmm. all you that's all you it's know comfortable for you it's comfortable for you holy shit that doesn't give him a right to do that to me or and i hope i hope he has learned from me mm-hmm. after we went our separate ways that was it well like what at what point did you realize like i need to get out of this immediately so my i i lost a lot of friends when i was in that abusive relationship because they didn't want to see me continue to go down that path mm-hmm. and some of my friends did stuck stick by me and my cousin was very worried about me and she told me about a, a therapist that helped her mm-hmm. so i went to the therapist i remember it was a saturday morning and i was speaking to my ex before that appointment and he told me he met someone else and i was hysterical and i went to that appointment and mm-hmm. I tried to share everything about my life growing up and what led to that relationship and my low self-esteem and growing up as a transracial adoptee in a white family in a predominantly white neighborhood, how all that has impacted me. And I wasn't really close with my father or my stepmother mm-hmm. or my sisters or my brother. So I tried to condense that all that in an hour and she wouldn't let me leave the office. She, My aunt and uncle had to come and get me. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. And then how many, how long, and you went to psychotherapy for, mm-hmm. for quite a while. But so it was him walking away that was able to almost help you get out of it? Exactly. I'm super happy that that happened. Holy shit. I'm absolutely mind blown. I'm super happy that you're out of it. And that was, I was young, I was naive, I was 18, mm-hmm. you know, first first love, first boyfriend, first everything. And I'm glad that happened early on in my life. So you live and experience it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And thank God I didn't get married to him. We didn't have any children, so there's no tie. He, he wanted, I remember he really wanted me to co-sign on a car for him, and, and I followed my instinct. And when in doubt, follow your gut. And I said, nope, not, not doing that. Holy and shit. then I learned from uh, I learned that the 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 girl that he dated after me because somehow she got in communication with me uh-huh. that that she ended up co-signing on a car for him <sighs> yeah and he wasn't abusive towards her but just you just me but he did he did really ruin her life yeah oh. there's people out there yeah that's so fucked <sighs> now. Did you, so you were Catholic and, and you grew up Catholic? Yes, yeah. So uh, did you use that to help you bounce back, obviously with psychotherapy as well, and your spirituality? Was that something that you used to help bring you above where you were? Because now it's been years since it's since it's happened. Yes. So at the time I was in that relationship, I was going to Nasukumi College, mm-hmm. and I got my associates in 2004. Then I took a semester off. I was working full-time at a collection agency and also was working part-time at Costco. I was folding clothes. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Hofstra for a semester. Uh, that was spring 2005. And I barely went to class. And uh, and it just was a very difficult time because I left my home mm-hmm. to be with my ex, yeah, who yeah. me, and every and 
and the cat got out of the bag uh, when he first started being abusive. I told my best friend and she told her parents who in return told my parents and and my uh-huh. father is a cop. Uh-huh. And of course, he was furious mm-hmm. and I didn't listen. And I thought this was this is the man I wanted to be with. And I, I spent a couple months homeless. I was living in my car with my ex. We would spend some nights in motels when we had money to do so. And mm-hmm. we spent some time at his friend's places out east. Holy crap. And that was life for years? That was uh, for a couple months. For a couple months. And then I don't know how I past Hofstra but I did because mm. I hardly went to class it was very difficult and then I took another semester off and and that was when I was in the massive psychotherapy at mm-hmm. the end of that relationship and I went to Baruch that was spring semester 2006 and Baruch was the transformation for the shift mm-hmm. of where everything just moved up for me really what was what about it just being there or just being there, I I always considered myself a city girl. I always went to the city with friends mm-hmm. um, when I was in high school on the weekends. And I love Baruch because it's diverse. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that makes you a more grounded person and and that's better for learning, learning yeah. and learning it's, activity. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely nice, too, because in college you kind of get to start over. Exactly. And that was my, that was my rebirth. Mm-hmm. And so at... So I mentioned earlier that I'm an adjunct professor at Baruch and I teach mm-hmm. a public speaking class. So I have a lot of Baruch pride. So it is an honor mm-hmm. for me to teach at Baruch. That's so it's full circle now. Yes. That's so cool. Yeah. And then because I went when I went back to school, my mind was focused on school. I joined the school newspaper, I joined the school magazine. I was busy. You just fill up your time. I was always a nerd and always went for A's. And yeah, so I, I kept my mind off and, and I did. And I continued with the psychotherapy for a couple of years. And then and then I and it's common that you outgrow mm-hmm. your therapist mm-hmm. and then you find a, find a new one because mm-hmm. sometimes the therapist ends up becoming your friend. And mm-hmm. and my therapist ended up becoming my friend. She uh, also is a filmmaker, and I went to see one of her screenings at the Long Island International Film Expo this year. That's really cool. Yeah. So you still keep in touch with her, and you guys are friends now and hang out? Well, I wouldn't say, um, like, we hang out, but uh, but we're, I guess, we're, it's, uh, I know her not as my therapist, but on a personal level. And it's interesting how everything comes back full circle. So when I went to her screening mm-hmm. back in july at belmore movies i went there with my grandmother and um so she did this documentary called big fish blues about the blues scene from like the 60s to the 90s very like i had i had no idea this was right in our backyard here in long island and interestingly enough after the screening the owners of belmore movies came up to me and they asked me if they they knew my father and they knew mm-hmm. my mother my mother yeah, yeah, yeah. had passed and because I registered for my ticket online so they saw my last name and mm-hmm. they said Schultz she must be so and so's daughter and the the woman who owned the who owns the movie Belmore movies with her husband mm-hmm. she helped take care of my mother when I was a little girl so she remembers me 
as a little girl at the house, she would come and help take care of my mother. That's so cool. And, what a small world. And back in the day, my mother worked with her husband, I think in the 70s, at like Wanto Cinema. Yeah. That's so cool. And they were there for um, my mom, my mom's wake in Farmingdale and mm-hmm. when she passed in 95. And I had, and I don't really remember them. I was little, but they do remember me and they have, they have kids around my age and incredible because I used to live in Belmore. I, I, I live in Rockville Center now, I grew up in Farmingdale, but I used to be in Belmore. I was in Sass and I was in Lindahurst and I, and I did go to the Belmore movies a couple of times and I had no idea that connection to my parents until now. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's, it's definitely a small world and, and, I mean, now I'm starting to bump in, as I get older, I'm starting to bump into people, oh, you know, so-and-so, or you know, so-and-so, and it's a crazy little world that we live in, and even, no matter how big it is, and and whatnot, it's like, especially with the internet now, like you were saying, you can find out information from anywhere, anything, and, like, to hear your story, and for you to even share that with me, I feel greatly privileged, I really appreciate that, but it's... Like, there's other people that have probably been in similar situations as you, and poor, the part of the reason why I do this ep- this show is because people get to hear those stories, and hopefully that this touches somebody else, and maybe they can come across it and say, hey, you know, there was somebody else like me, and maybe not the exact same story, but it's something similar, and realize that there's a greater purpose, I guess, as opposed to being in that in that relationship and then moving all the way to come full circle to go to college start the rebirth I love that mm-hmm. and then now you're working back at the college as an adjunct professor that's amazing and I have to say that I wouldn't be here without the support of my family my friends mm-hmm. so when I was homeless and and after the relationship ended with my with my ex I I was with a couple of friends and then my grandma, mm-hmm. she had me, she invited me to move in with her. So oh, this is awesome. my father's mother. So she's been such an impact on my life. And I did continue to still see him when I moved with grandma. And then, and then I went and then it was that visit to the therapist's office where like things clicked and, and I realized like something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. I need, I need to take care of this. I can't, I can't keep going down this path. Yeah. It's um, it's amazing that you realize because I hear all too often. There's always stories that that you come across, and the person just they don't leave, they don't leave, or they don't know to leave, or any, or they don't see a therapist to to really have that eye opening. And um, and it's interesting. So when I moved in with my, my with my grandmother, her roommate. So this is when my grandmother was in Belmore, and her roommate, and they became very good friends. And the and when I moved in, her roommate had no problem with, with my grandmother said my granddaughter's moving in and she mm-hmm. said no problem and and we are one big family and she and I remember she always she had this catchphrase about me she said from a hoodie to hottie because when I moved in I would always wear hoodies I mm-hmm. would I couldn't look anyone directly in the face mm-hmm. I was always hunched over I just didn't like myself I didn't feel good about myself mm-hmm. and she saw me grow and so she calls so she would always say from a hoodie to a hottie <laughs> I love it. And she was a and she was a big proponent of me going, you know, going to Baruch and um I believe Baruch is just as good as an Ivy League, just as good as NYU, just as 
just as good as a Columbia, but Mm -hmm. not as nearly as much as tuition at those schools. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's school college now is ridiculously expensive, (laughs) ridiculously expensive. Um, I mean, then again, you, I mean, a part of it is you pay for what you get. Um, exactly. I mean, I've had friends that go to Columbia, and I'm like, you sound like you're going, you don't, doesn't even sound like you're going to college. It sounds like you're going to paradise for a couple of years, and you're going to end up with this ridiculous amount of debt, and then you have to go find a job. Absolutely insane. And just, um, so my, my aunt, mm-hmm. I call, I, I call, I call, even though she's not technically my aunt, I, I call her my aunt. That's cool. And she everybody's recently, got one of those. She recently passed away, mm-hmm. and but but because of her, I am the woman I am standing today. And I'm and a couple of weeks before she passed, I told her that I was also in addition to adjuncting at Baruch, I'd be adjuncting this fall at Fordham. And I just remember her saying, "Heather, I'm so so proud of you. I'm so so proud of you." Yeah, yeah to, she to had, come from that to doing what you are now. Exactly. Yeah. And I do believe as as an adoptee and just talking to some my friends, biology doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Just because you grew up with your biological family doesn't mean that you're going to be close Absolutely. with your family of origin. So Absolutely. I consider my friends and my family. Mm-hmm. I, have rel- I have relatives who are technically maybe like my second cousins, but I out of respect because they're old enough to be like an aunt or uncle. I call them aunt or uncle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely amazing. Everybody's got that. Yeah. And, and you're definitely right about the biology thing. I saw a great uh, photo today and it was a, it was like a dark tan egg and it was like a white egg. And like the comparison was like the two eggs and they crack them open and the yolks are the same. And I'm like far way too often do people put that, into too much perspective where it's like all right you're korean or you're asian or you're black or you're white or whatever it is and oh you know there's always a million things going on but like at the core root of it we're we're humans we all belong to the same planet we're all here to to take care of each other we're all here to help each other and we're all here to to learn and grow and i think that's one of the most important parts and i think there's a lot of times where people stop learning they stop growing and what when they do that that's like the imminent downfall of of them. So those are those are just some of my beliefs, but I I couldn't believe it, and I was like, that's pretty. That's a cool analogy, analogy metaphor. Uh, one of those yeah, two. One of those two. And just to be able to see the egg to the yolk, and it was like I was pretty moved by it, and it was such a simple photo, and I'm like, all right, we're all we're all here together, like good, bad, or indifferent. If you don't like it. You got to figure it out because there's no changing it. You can't, no race or anything like that is going to take over the world. At least until there's another world war. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Oh, I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. Well, now you're in politics. I'm sure you heard what happened today. Here's uh, this. It's, <laughs> it's like a reality TV show. I, <laughs> I know. It really is. And we're all living it. That's the craziest part. That's the absolute craziest part. But what are you going to do? We're all here. We're all here to 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 exist and and to grow. That's exactly. The most important and thing. you can't live life with blinders on, and and you can't live life in fear. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, one of my grandmother's friends' friends. She's afraid of crossing bridges and going through tunnels and everything like that. And you need to live, and and 
and not think like what if what if i go in the city like what if like you know like in new york city it's like gonna be under attack and you can't it could happen anywhere you can't yeah. live you can't live your life like that absolutely absolutely and it's funny too because everybody always considers that you said the rebirth, which is I've never actually heard that, and I really do enjoy that. But most people say, you know, like, oh, I crossed that bridge from one part of my life to another, and it's funny that she's like, oh, you know, I'm having trouble going over bridges and things like that because it's like that's like a key turning point. And yes, I know it is physical, but I'm like, that's everybody's going to do it, and you have to. And once you, if you cut yourself off like that, you can't even leave Long Island without going over a bridge or through a tunnel. Exactly. So, absolutely incredible. I appreciate you being here and sharing your story. No, of course. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Anytime. Anytime. How do people do, how do people find out about you if you want to share it? Um, social media and whatnot, if you care. Sure. So my handle is really simple. It's Heather J. Schultz. So they can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn, I don't know the exact URL, but it's not exactly Heather, Heather J. Schultz. But they can find me on LinkedIn. And then I have a... And then just can put in Heather Schultz to find my Facebook page. I gotcha. By the way, I thought of one more question for you. Sure. Have people reached out to you about your story and say, hey, you know, I've had that? Or have you shared it enough to where people have heard it? Yes. So moving moving back. Mm-hmm. So before my trip to Seoul, mm-hmm. I wrote a story about my search. Mm-hmm. And that was published in NBC News, their Asia, their Asia America, America vertical, which launched that year, 2014. So I sent that story to my editor before my trip and Mm -hmm. it was published my last week there. Okay. So that was, I got into the story of my mother and how she lost the battle with MS and, Mm -hmm. and losing losing my adopted mother and then deciding to go to Korea to try to find my birth mother. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote another story when I returned about my takeaways, everything I experienced going back to the homeland. And several adoptees found my story on social media and they shared their stories with me. And some of them said I inspired them to dig into their own stories and start their search for their birth families. And my last job, I'm no longer there. I was working at the Donaldson Adoption Institute, which is what they commission a whole bunch of reports on adoption policies and best practices, not only in adoption, but child child welfare and foster care. And I learned so much about myself there. Mm-hmm. So, for instance... The child, the child citizenship act of 2000 only gives citizenship to adoptees who are adopted in 2000 and after. So everyone who's adopted before 2000, your parents had to put in the paperwork to make you a citizen of the United States. Mm-hmm. And I took that for granted. I just assumed your parents automatically did that, but um, some adoptees were not made citizens by their parents mm-hmm. and 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 one who is actually my third cousin was deported back to South Korea because his parents didn't do it holy crap so now is he did he come back was he able to come back and file the right paperwork to come back as a citizen 
Or that was never an option for him. If you don't know, that's fine. There, it's there are many layers of his story, yeah. and um, and he's been written all up. So his name is Adam Crapser, but I really took that for granted, thinking that that was something that your parents did when they adopted you. And there's there's an adoptee citizenship act that that they're trying to move along through Congress, which would give retroactive citizenship to all adoptees. But mm-hmm. that's there's no movement with that right now. Damn. That's a oh, that's such a shame. The the government well, the government takes forever to do things most of the time unless <laughs> they really need it done. Um But damn, that stinks. That's terrible. We can only hope for the best. And keep fighting the, fighting the good fight. Exactly. Um but it's interesting to hear to be connected with other I got really involved with the adopted community here and New York and just to hear other stories and some of them are similar, some of them are different and I maybe knew like one or two adoptees when I was growing up in high school. And now you know. And I know <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens. Yeah. That's incredible. Now how, do any of them share a similar story or is it just all adoptees from all over? Like did anybody go through like the spiritual college and stuff like that or like how how are they all coping with it or that you've seen? Some of them have went through therapy. Mm-hmm. Some of them have done a mass inventory of soul searching, meditation, spirituality, writing mm-hmm. is a great outlet. And for me, writing saved me saved me when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I pretty much kept to myself and just kept myself in my room. And I had I had a I had a live journal, and I would write in the live journal, and I would and I had that live journal over the course of my abusive relationship and I w- and that helped me cope with my feelings that was that w- that was my release damn and now when you're a part of this whole community obviously you've seen you've seen you've met a lot of these people and stuff like that is there a lot of like support for for these people because I happen to know a bunch of people that are that are adopted and and I I never came from that life so I have no idea what it's like I've no, and I don't even want to be the first one to say, you know, I would kind of know what it's like. I've just heard stories, and I couldn't even imagine myself being in that kind of position. But is there like a lot of support for them? I would, I would assume now, hopefully at least, there's more because of social media and stuff like that. But is there like a big group, or is there a big push to help those those individuals? It depends where you are here in New York. I think there are a lot of support groups, and and I'm part of a Korean a Korean adoptees group on a green American adoptees group on Facebook where we, where we can lend support to adoptees where we can't get together due to geographic barriers, Mm -hmm. but it's it's really, it's really the power of social media. Yeah. And that's definitely changed everything. That's absolutely incredible. And working when I was working at, at the adoption nonprofit, it would be my responsibility to see the latest stories in adoption and i and and some don't don't stop the fight to try to find their birth families and years later they'll be reconnected with their birth families mm-hmm. and 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 the dna mm-hmm. just technology yeah. available now has helped that and even just even just facebook people have reunited on through facebook and yeah so. That's that's one of my favorite parts about social media is it just gives you that maybe because there's geographic issues but 
it still gives you that ability to contact and you can talk to somebody on the other side of the world at any point in the day whenever you want and they can reach reach out vice versa absolutely thank you so much for sharing your story you're welcome but i just want to be clear that my journey is still evolving and absolutely absolutely and and i do want to get back to my birth family search and i just Mm -hmm. and i just you need to be in the right mindset for that Mm -hmm. and i will and i will get there and i'm really blessed that my second cousin is open to helping me because Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to help me yeah what do you go through when you're doing that because I, I wouldn't even know where to begin, and obviously you have quite you have some experience doing it. Like, what do you, what is involved in trying to find that family member? Well, that would be on his part, asking some family members. Mm-hmm. The family members still in still in Korea, and I, I don't know. I really don't know because I'm at a standstill. There's. Mm-hmm. The social worker, they can't give me any any information. They put out a call out um, to Korean Adoption Services, and the government agency couldn't pull out any information. So I, so my second cousin, he gave me some leads and a whole bunch of things to follow up on. So I need to just revisit that, and I I'm getting back in the space where where I can do that. Mm-hmm. But if you need to, it's a lot. You need to be emotional ready. Yeah, I can only to imagine. take care of that. A lot of a uh, lot of my friends and acquaintances who are adoptees, they become social workers or they find jobs in adoption agencies because they want to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. But I believe, in order for you, if you have a personal connection to adoption, that you need to heal yourself first before mm-hmm. getting into this work because it's it's intense. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, yes. So one of where I where I used to where I used to be, uh, one of one of the things that we were very careful about is just the language of adoption. So, for instance, the media they like they, they would use the term "give up," and mm-hmm. and that's a very loaded term. Mm-hmm. So we would we preferred relinquished mm-hmm. for adoption. Wow, that's and then. When you're in, in when you're in that environment, when you say somebody has to heal themselves, where do like where do they go? If do they go see like do they go see a therapist, or is it a lot of like soul searching for yourself? Is it a lot of like getting into spirituality, like you like you do, and like your daily affirmations and and constantly trying to like be between God and all of that? Is that part of it, or is everybody different? Or I think everyone's different. You can go to. Th- you can go to therapist. For me, mm-hmm. I'm very anti-drugs. Mm-hmm. I don't take chemicals. I would rather take an, a natural supplement. Mm-hmm. So, I've and I've taken some antidepressants mm-hmm. early on in my 20s, and they had a horrible effect on me. Mm-hmm. And I and I remember telling my psychiatrist, "This is making me even more depressed. This is giving me more anxiety." And they told me, oh, you know, it's, you know, your symptoms are bad in the beginning. I'm like, I'm like, no, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to feel like this. And I, and I was like a zombie. And so I wasn't on them for a long time. Yeah. Some, I mean, in some cases, antidepressants and, and, and medication, they do help some. But mm-hmm. for me, 
my 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 body couldn't take it. But yeah. everyone has their own journey. And for me, spirituality, meditation, um, soul searching, writing, those are all tools that, that I use to to get me here. Mm-hmm. And I'm and and we're not gonna be ever gonna be completely like a hundred percent. Everything yeah. is always evolving and shifting and you're constantly gonna be tested in life and get triggered. Yeah. And it just I my philosophy is just you know, just about I try to be the best version of myself I can every day. Yeah, that's absolutely the most important thing. I did. I, I just I was curious because if there is something that, like you said, you're a part of those groups where there's support and stuff like that. But I didn't know if there was like something in particular that you guys had to do, uh, or or there's just it's a very your own game and you kind of have to figure it out on your own. There are resources. Mm-hmm. There's um, there is a group that I was used to be on the board of directors, also known as, and we would have mixers, um, just you know, connecting the adopted community, and they would also have forums where you would talk about how I was growing up as a transracial adoptee, and you know, and our fight for identity. Mm-hmm. And I and I did lead a workshop um, about. On with for that organization. You said you led okay. the workshop. Yeah, I led a writing workshop. Oh, okay. And and what does that entail, if you don't mind me asking? So one writing workshop was I had them. So writing has always been healing mm-hmm. for me, and so for one writing workshop, I had the other transracial adoptees who are part of that workshop. We, I got some papyri- papyrus stationery. I love papyrus. I love that little hummingbird, and. I got like a whole bunch of stationery and then I told them to write, you know, write a letter to your an adoptive parent or birth parent. And this is not a letter that you necessarily would have to share with that person, but just just release. Mm-hmm. And I and then just taking a step like in my spiritual teachings and from what I've learned from my spiritual teachers, after you write that letter, burn that letter and let it release into the universe. Really? I would have never guessed you would have burned it at the end. We didn't burn it. We didn't burn it at the workshop, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there were other writing exercises where I ha- where I where I did write, and mm-hmm. then and then and then we had a burning ceremony, and we released that. And do you when you do that? Do you genuinely feel better? I feel so much better. Really, Lo- that's so cool. Load has taken off me. Yeah, that's amazing. So you just write the letter as heartfelt as possible and emotional as possible, and then you light it on fire at the end. You yeah, you don't need to. You don't need to send. You don't need to send it to. Yeah, that, yeah. That no, person. absolutely. Um, but just, just get it out because mm-hmm. you don't you don't want to harbor those, those feelings inside. That's so cool. I would have never even thought about lighting it on fire and, and releasing it. And and it's so, it's a physical thing, but it's so mental too because you're you're literally releasing it and that's you're dumping those emotions into it. And I could definitely see how that's extremely beneficial. And just going back to spirituality, um, I do believe in the power of intention. So mm-hmm. writing down what, like being very specific of what you want professionally mm-hmm. and personally. That can be um, the qualities that you're looking for in a soulmate. Mm-hmm. That could be that dream job that you want. Mm-hmm. And I do believe in writing writing that down and meditating on that and manifesting that because mm-hmm. That's happened to me. Absolutely. And now with your spirituality, how did you go about learning all of that? I know you said you had some teachers. So my best friend, 
she is a feng shui consultant. Okay. So I learned, so she connected me with her spiritual teacher mm-hmm. and, and I've been going to her for a couple, for a couple of years and she is my spiritual life coach and she's how, and I've seen a huge transformation since I've been going to her. That's incredible. And I also do Reiki energy healing. Not on. I'm what not is a. That? I'm not a practitioner. I just do that on myself. It's mm-hmm. um, energy healing with, with your hands. It's um, it, it originated from Japan. Do you know who Master Ko Master Ku is? No. no. Oh, okay. No, because I had seen him when I was at Tony Robbins. There was a Master Ku, and he's like, you know, shake out your hands and touch your palms, and you can feel like the energy. But I didn't know what exactly that that was. It was just cool. It was very. Very, I don't. It, it was definitely eye opening, but I don't really know how to explain it. But he was like, you know, shake your hands out, touch your touch your palms, and then like go like this, and you'll f- and like close your eyes, and and you'll feel the energy flow. And it actually felt like something was like pushing and pulling. Is that the same thing, or it's it, it's it's similar? It, it's similar. It's okay, about energy. Just putting something simple as. Um, I just do Reiki healing on myself, but just putting my hands in front of my face like that, and I can, I could, I could feel the energy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and then when, like, when it's not tingling, and when I don't feel warm, then I know that that part. Ooh. I'm sorry, then I know that part of my body is okay, and then I'll, and then I'll, I'll move down. Yeah. Oh, as it feels more cool and calm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, that's very cool. And you feel and you feel it radiate off you definitely exactly yes. yeah yeah there's no doubt about that well wow, that's so cool that's amazing <laughs> and how do people for somebody who's never done it before how would they get into it because I don't know where I don't wouldn't even know the first place where you would find it slash go so the my spiritual teacher she so her practice is the center of inner wisdom mm-hmm. and I and I've learned Reiki from her Reiki mm-hmm. one and two. And the next step would be to become a Reiki master where I could teach Reiki, but I don't, I'm just using Reiki in terms of my own mm-hmm. personal healing. But there, the the metaphysical world and spirituality, it's becoming, I think, more more known to the masses with with Oprah. She is her Super Soul Sunday show and, like, and Deepak Chopra, okay. who's another spiritual teacher. And I met him when his... He had a a book signing back in the winter, and I met him. Okay. And what does he do? He does something like Oprah, or does he teach Reiki? Oh, not Reiki, but he's just um, a spirit, a very spiritual teacher okay. about affirmations and positivity and the subconscious mind, mm-hmm. and oh. just being you know being the be- being in your personal power. Absolutely! Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Is there anything else that you care to share before we wrap this thing up? Um, no, I really appreciate you having me as we go into this new season. And I'm starting school again and this new opportunity at Fordham. And I'm really excited. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, I wish you the absolute best of luck with that. And I definitely look forward to having you back on. Thanks, Harrison. Thank you. Anytime. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate the heck out of you guys, as always. This show is sponsored by none other than the Nerds That Care. Uh, they are your IT experts. Um, questions, comments, or anything like that that you have about computers, you call 
the nerds. They will they will help you. They will take care of you. They will guide you. They will even give you suggestions and whether or not you choose to take them. That's at your own risk. So definitely a huge appreciation for nerds as always, or for now until the end of September. I'm doing the Draft Top giveaway. Thank you to Draft Top for sponsoring that. If you want to enter to win the Draft Top, feel free to go to brutallyhonestpodcast.com uh, under extras. You'll see the giveaway link. Hop on there. Fill out, the, fill out the information, and you can win the ultimate beer can tool. Um, and on that note, I love you guys. I have two more podcasts coming up this week, so I hope you guys are ready for it. But till then, peace. <laughs>